Well, good morning, church. How are you today? Good, good. Hey, I, I want to remind you, last week I mentioned that Holy Week is coming a- April 5th through the 12th, I think. is the, I may have the dates wrong, but somewhere around there. And, and Holy Week is coming. Holy Week is going to be a three-part series in our church this year that will start on Palm Sunday which will be a gospel Sunday, a harvest Sunday. We want to see people come to know Jesus Christ on on that Sunday. Then Good Friday will be part two, and then Easter weekend. And so a three-part scenario, and we're going big for for Holy Week. And what I mean by that is is that we will have uh, all kinds of fun activities packaged all around the week, and we will have a good time. And it will look different at every single one of our campuses. And so your campus pastor will come at the end of the service and give you more instruction about your campus. But first of all, I want to remind you the reason, the why. Why will we go big on a week like that? Well, first of all, uh, big events have been proven to be very useful in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and helping people come to know Jesus Christ. But, but secondly, uh, that, that big events are useful and big events are helpful, but, but the truth is, is that ultimately it's people who reach people. Amen? Amen. And, and, and so if you're a person... God wants to use you to, to reach people, and, and that's where you come into this scenario. Last week, I asked you to begin thinking and praying about who it is you're to invest in, who it is you are to invite, and, and every time we do one of these big events, I'm going to give you some specific tools every week between now and, and then, and, and every time we do the big event, we put a card like this in the seat, this invite card. And I just want to say to some of you who are confused about this, this is not for you to put on your refrigerator to remind you that we have a big event coming. This is not for you, it is from you. And if you wanna put it on your refrigerator, put it on your refrigerator to remind you to invite somebody. But eventually before the event, take it down and hand it to somebody and invite them uh, to our church. I wanna say it again, this is not for you, it is from you. And and so today at all of our campuses, we've put a station out in the lobby, uh, one specifically for Easter and one specifically for the rest of all events that will surround Holy Week and what's happening at your campus. So stop by after the service, grab a couple of them, read them, peruse them, them, figure out what it is that your campus is doing during that week so that you're very familiar with it, so that you can talk to people about it in a natural way, but, but then give this to, to somebody. So how do I use it? Give it to a neighbor, give it to a coworker, give it to a, 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 somebody who works for you. In fact, if you're an employer, you might want to say to all of your employees, come and go with me on Easter weekend, and then I will feed you all lunch. That's what a good employer would do who loves Jesus Christ. And and, and so do that. But but this is not something that you hand to a stranger. And and you don't litter with it, obviously. In fact, uh, at Christmas time, Jay, our our, uh, student pastor here at this campus, he and his beautiful wife and children uh, baked cookies together and and then took the children in a wagon, uh, neighbor to neighbor, and took cookies and then handed out uh, the invites to to all of their neighbors. And God used it in an incredible way. And, And a large percentage of the time in the culture that you and I live in, you have to remember this. People will not come to a church generally without a personal connection. They feel like they're crashing a wedding they weren't invited to. They don't understand it. And just because we put a sign out that says services at uh, whatever time the services are doesn't mean people will come. They want somebody to invite them. They want somebody to say, will you come and go with me? And so you need to begin praying. In fact, let me just camp out on that for a second. Never before in the life of this church have I felt more compelled for us to bolster the prayer ministry uh, of what we do as a church. And in fact, a staff member has just transitioned into that. Her, her name is Heather McCullough, and she is 
kick in chicken with this whole thing of building this prayer ministry. She's building an army around our student ministry. She's building an army around preschool, around special needs, around all of these things. And you need to be a part of the army. Like 1,500 adults in this church are a part of what we call the Battle Creek Circle, which means you get an email once a month with a prayer request list that comes out of the staff offices and, and that you would commit to 30 minutes a week praying through this particular prayer list. And if you're not a part of that, I want to invite you to join that. In fact, Heather will reach out to you. Reach and take that connect card in the seat pocket in front of you and just check that I will be a part of BC Circle. Give us your name and information. None of you are doing that. Reach up there. Pretend like you're listening to what I'm saying. Reach up and grab that card and fill that out. If you're not a part of that prayer circle, then join the prayer circle. It's easy. 30 minutes a week, five minutes a day. You pray through this list and we just, we just believe what happens in the heavenlies it is more important than what happens here and it directs what happens here. And so we want prayer warriors all over this church. But you need to begin praying for these people, investing in these people, and inviting these people. And here's what will happen. When you do, they will come to church. And when they come to church, the odds are they will come to know Jesus. They will know God. They will find freedom. They will discover their purpose. And they, like you, will be put on a path to, to make a difference in, in life. And here's what I want you to hear me say. This cannot happen without you. Each of you were made, gifted, wired together by God to glorify God. And part of that is to share Jesus with people around you. So number one tool I introduced last week is the events surrounding the week. Number two tool is this invite card that you can pick them up today in the lobby. Let's pray together before we begin today. Father, today we worship you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We lift you up. We ask that you would inhabit all the praises of your children, and you would fill this place with your presence and your power, that you would make the word of God come alive today, not, not flat or one-dimensional, but living word that would cut us into our life source and change our lives because of our time together. Father, we pray for the friends and coworkers and employees and neighbors and all the people that you want to bring into a relationship with you through us. Give us sensitivity to you, and courage to obey, to speak a word, to extend a hand, to give an invite, to bring people along in what you're doing in this city. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen. Now, isn't it amazing how one sentence can change your whole life? How, how one sentence, how one phone call, how one comment can, can change your life. In fact, I could make the assignment right now for you to just to share with the person next to you uh, and, and to share, hey, tell about that one phone call. Tell about that one moment that, that spun your life, that changed your life, that changed your future, that changed your relationships. You, you can be driving down the highway and get one phone call and it changed your life forever. And if it's good news, it changes it one way. If it's bad news, it changes it a whole nother way. Either way your life can be turned upside down with just one phone call, you, your life can turn on a dime, right? Everybody understand that and experience that? That's exactly what happened to Jonah when he got this call and these three words, go to Nineveh. His whole life 
turned. And we're going to talk about how these three words were so life-altering to Jonah. But, but there's another phrase in this book that's also at the heart of the book of Jonah. It's found over in chapter 2 in verse 9. And here's what Jonah said. My salvation comes from the Lord alone. And what's amazing about that is that's the greatest theology in the whole world, that Jonah declared my salvation comes from Jesus Christ alone. The hilarious part about it is, is the greatest theology on the planet came from the worst missionary in the history of the planet. And if you think that God can't use you because you're such a disappointment, listen, Jonah, the whole story of Jonah is that God can use you, he can use me, he can use any of us to to, to get the message of the gospel out. And as we continue on our journey with Jonah, let me clarify one point. And I hope that you know it, I hope that you saw it last week, but but this is a, a major point. Jonah is not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. In fact, at the beginning of the book, Jonah's running from God. At the end of the book, he's arguing with God. And in between, he's praying and and preaching one sentence, but he's no hero. The book is about God. In fact, let me illustrate it this way for you. The fish is mentioned four times in the book. Nineveh is mentioned nine times in the book. Jonah, the prophet, is mentioned 18 times in the book, but God is mentioned 38 times in the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters long. It's only 48 verses long, just over 1,300 words. You can read it in 15 minutes a day, but it tells us all we need to know. But because this book opens a window into the heart of God. And this story begins in chapter 1 and verse 1. If you got your Bible, open to the book of Jonah, and let's walk through it together. We're going to get through one chapter a week over the next four weeks. Chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. The Word, say Word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, if you write in your Bible, you can underline word one time because that's the subject doing the action in this sentence and underline come or came uh, two times. The word is literally doing the action in this passage and in this sentence. The word is the one acting. The word is the one is alive. And and you can write out beside that active, uh, alive, sharper, right? All the things that are true about the word of God. Remember, by the way, what the Uh, gospel writer John, we spent the whole month of December talking about John chapter 1. What he tells us in John chapter 1 is that Jesus is indeed the Word. Remember, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and and dwelt among us. But by the way, Jonah, here's an interesting tidbit for you, came from a town called Gath-Hefer. It's a little town in the northern part of Israel in the region that the New Testament calls Galilee. From a town you know as Nazareth. In other words, that's the place Jesus grew up in, in case you don't know that. This is so prophetic. It is pointing to the one and only, the gospel. It's pointing to the person of Jesus. And look at what the word says when, when it came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Literally what God is saying is they stink to high heaven. The stench of them has come all the way up to me in heaven. And some of you may have a version of the Bible that does this on that translation, on that verse. Arise and go to Nineveh. That's the literal word-for-word translation. Arise and go to Nineveh. And here's what it means in modern English. Jonah, get off your butt and go now. That's the translation. Get off your behind and go 
now. Don't you wish some of your kids understood language like that? From time to time, in fact, maybe we should teach them Hebrew because it's very clear in, in the Hebrew what's not very clear in, in, in the English. Let, let, let's keep reading it, what uh, he says, what the Word has to say. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. That's crazy clear instruction. The who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how, all answered. Listen, Jonah didn't disobey because he wasn't sure about the instruction. Jonah didn't disobey because he wasn't sure what God would do. He, he disobeyed because he didn't want to do it. By the way, go to Nineveh and preach against it is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. That's not what he was told to go say. This is not, it's your best life now. This is bad news from Almighty God. And when God said Nineveh was wicked, he wasn't joking around at all. (coughs) Excuse me, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. We talked about that last week, which was the most powerful empire in the world in that day. And the Assyrians had a reputation for cruelty that is hard for us to fathom in in our day and age. You've not seen movies that that depict this kind of cruelty because nobody would pay and nobody would go watch this. Their speciality was a brutality of the gross and the disgusting kind. When the Armenian or, or the Assyrian armies rather would capture a country, unspeakable atrocities would occur. Things like skinning people alive. Things like decapitation, uh, mutilation of the bodies. They they would make pyramids out of human heads. They would pierce the chin and tie a rope through people's mouths and tie them to a a, a weight like a dog in a kennel. Things like all of that were what the Assyrians were doing. And they had no use for the Jews, and the Jews hated the Assyrians in return. In fact, they hated them for their bloodthirsty cruelty. They hated them for their idolatry. They hated them for their arrogance. And as far as Jonah was concerned, the Ninevites could go straight to hell. In fact, if you were to ask Jonah and put true serum in him, he would say, go ahead, God, push the button, open the trap door, let them fall to where they belong. Let them fall straight into the pit. That's how Jonah felt about Nineveh. And the question that that begs for all of us today is, what is your Nineveh? What's your Nineveh? Nineveh is what pulls you out of your comfort zone. Nineveh is the place that God calls you that you don't want to go. Nineveh is the people that have hurt you deeply, yet God says love them and give them my message of love immediately. Nineveh is danger. Nineveh is discomfort. Nineveh is whatever you hate that God loves deeply. What do you do when God says go to Nineveh and you hate those people? You you should think of that because I'm just here to tell you sooner or later, that's exactly what he's going to say to you. And when God says, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it, you would think that that would be this verse and the very next verse would be, and Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. We we see that, you know, chiasm all the time in Scripture, right? That A-B formula all over Scripture. And Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. And they dropped their nets and they followed. Over and over and over you see that in the Scripture, but not here in Jonah. That is not what happened. Verse 3 says he ran from the Lord and headed to a place called Tarshish. By the way, Jonah's problem was never ultimately about Nineveh. In fact, let me show you that. Verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction, watch this, 
to get away from the Lord. Jonah's problem was always with God. And he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship sailing for Tarshish. Tarshish, as most scholars believe, is present-day Spain, which is in the opposite direction. I showed you this last week. If you weren't here, I'll show it to you again. This is Joppa where he boarded the ship. This is where God taught him to go to Nineveh. This is where he was headed. As far as you could go in the known world, you could not go further in his mind in the opposite direction. Look look at what the Bible says. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. The point is he did the opposite of what was needed, and he wasted his calling. And he wasted his opportunity, and he wasted all the God-given potential. And and it wasn't that, that he was disobeying just because he wanted to avoid hard work or some tough situation. And it wasn't that he was disobeying because he didn't like the assignment. He wanted to escape from the Lord. How foolish that is, yet we do it. How stupid that is, yet we attempt it, right? Psalm 139, David declares, where can I go away from you, God? If I go to the highest mountain, I will find you there. If I dive into the sea and go all the way to the depths and the bottom of the sea to the deepest trench, there I will find you. That's what the psalmist said, and Jonah had that memorized. He knew that scripture. He had it on the lip, on the tip of his tongue, and on his lips. Jonah knew that, and he still ran, running from the Lord. He had to have known you can't. But, but hear me today, church, listen, disobedience will disconnect you from your God-given calling every time. And the whole point of this book, the, the, the whole book, is, and certainly the book of Jonah, is in the application for your life and, and for my life. Because this is a love letter. It's a spiritual book, not just a history book. It is a spiritual book with, with application for our lives today. In other words, this is not just Jonah's story. It's your story. And it's my story. And, and here's what I want you to hear me declare over you today, church. And please, for the next three sentences, hear this as if God is talking straight to you and to only you. I want you to know there is a calling upon you. There there is a potential within you, and there is an opportunity before you. We believe that with all of our heart. That's why I'm so excited about this advanced track that we've started at all of our campuses. And even if you've been around here for a long time, if you don't have a group, you don't have a place of service, you're not connected, you need to go to the advanced track. I'll tell you one story I heard. In fact, she came and found me after the guest reception. She was in the nine o'clock service and and she gave me a hug and we took a picture together. This girl is probably, I don't know, 30. I guessed her age. I hope I underguessed. And, 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 uh, but she's a Greek girl, and, and, uh, which I relate to people from the East. And, and so uh, she, she grew up Greek Orthodox. It's very similar to the Coptic church, actually. And she came to know Christ. She started attending our church. She came to know Christ. And, and she went through the advanced track. And on week three, she did the spiritual gifts test and the spiritual gifts inventory and the uh, personality stuff. And she came out of that inventory going, this is how God wired me and this is how God made me. She was so excited about it. And, and, and she said, I need to be in student ministry because this is how God wired me. And now she's serving in our student ministry. But she didn't stop there. She went to her boss the next day and, and said, this is what my church taught me yesterday about how God has wired me and laid it in front of him and said, you're misusing me. 
as an employee. When I heard the story, I said, did we tell her to say that? <laughs> Lo and behold, her boss went home. He's a believer. Prayed about it. Came back the next day and said, let's change your whole job description. And let's put you out of these classes. Let's put you in one-on-one training. You will meet with people one-on-one all day, every day, so that you can use your exhorter gift and encourage them. And the boss gave her permission to pray with each one of them all day long in her place of business. It changed her whole world, not just her Sunday, but between Sundays. Would you give God glory for what, what he's doing? Listen to me. The same opportunity lies within you. The same potential lies within you. The, the, the same calling of God, whatever it is, it lies within you. And so let's look what happens when we disobey. Let's keep reading chapter uh, one, verse four. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. In other words, God will chase you down. He's promised that he will. And some of you, because you don't know him and you don't know his character, that makes you very afraid that God will chase you down, that that he's mad and he's angry. Listen, he's going to hunt you down in his love. And he's going to hunt you down in his grace. Psalm 23, maybe second most famous scripture in all of the Bible. Here's what it says. Surely goodness and mercy. Say goodness. Goodness. Say mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That Hebrew phrase, follow me, it's a military term. What it means is it will hunt you down and overtake you. What will? The goodness of God and the mercy of God. In other words, God is on a hunt in your life, and he will do whatever it takes to help you be who he's destined you to be. And when we run from God, we run out from under his grace. When we run from God, we run out from under his protection. Two two points today. Here's point number one, that disobedience is costly to you and to others. Disobedience only takes you in one direction, down. That's it. When we disobey, we don't do it because we think it will be bad for us. In fact, usually when we disobey, it's because we think it will be good for us, right? In fact, the etymology of that place, Tarshish, the name Tarshish means paradise. Jonah thought he was doing what was good for him. He he was headed to paradise instead of what God told him to do. We, We think we know better than God. We, we, we think we are above God, but no, he is above us. And the opposite direction of obedience, listen to me, it's not up, it's down. Let, we're, we're, what, the verses we're about to walk into, this back and forth between God and Jonah, I, I'm going to switch translations for a minute and read you the next few verses out of a translation called the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version. And the reason I'm doing that through these verses is it, it's a little more word-for-word translation. It, it, it's wordy. It's a bit boring at times. It, it, it's not in everyday English. And so I don't recommend it for devotional reading. But when you want to get into a more word-for-word translation, the ESV is fantastic. And, and Look at what it says in verse 3. Because in this passage, God says, Jonah, get up, arise, arise and go to Nineveh. And the question is, what does Jonah do? Look at it. But Jonah rose. He did arise. But he went to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. Now watch this. He went down. Say down. 
Circle that word in your Bible. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went, say it, down. He went down into it. This is, this is poetry. This is biblical language and it has application to your life to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Let me just say this to you. I just showed it to you on the map. It is a long stinking way from Joppa to Tarshish. What that means is that was not a regular route. It was not a daily routine. They didn't have a ship going out every hour from Joppa to Tarshish. This is, think about that for a minute. There's amazing application for you today. When you decide to disobey God, there's always a boat going to Tarshish. And there's always room for one more passenger on it. And what are the chances that a man would have the money in his pocket to pay for a ticket that happened to be going to the place he wanted to go at that very moment? When we decide to run from the Lord, Satan is happy to provide the transportation. And he can make disobedience look good with, with favorable circumstances. Looks like paradise. But, but you got to hear me today, church, that there's no package of favorable circumstances that can override what God has said. And down deep, he knew God's will. He just didn't want to do it. God said, go up, he went down. God said, go left, he went right. God said, go at day, he went at night. He was committing himself to the opposite of God's word. And it led in one direction and one direction only, down. Now, now watch this in, in verse 4. But the Lord, that's a whole other study. All the times, but the Lord. In this, but the Lord heard a powerful wind over the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. What am I saying? It did not just affect Jonah. It put the whole ship in danger. Your, your disobedience will cost you, and it will cost others. Look, look at verse five. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. Remember, we talked about that last week, Dagon, to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone, there it is, say it, down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and, and was fast asleep. Do you see this? It's, it, it is a picture of what happens when we disobey God. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. God tries to get his attention with the storm, but he doesn't care. He goes down into the belly of the ship, and then he lays down and goes to sleep. And he is spiraling out of control and doesn't even know it because he is asleep. He, he, hear me. Write this down. In fact, write this down. Write this down. Every step out of the will of God is a downward step. It is a downward step. Every single one of them. No one ever disobeyed God and went up. You only go down. And when you do that, God's voice will get softer and softer and softer. And when we disobey, his voice will get quieter and quieter and quieter until we are finally asleep to the voice of God in our lives. And Jonah's disobedience, it didn't start on that boat. Jo Jonah's disobedience didn't start when he bought that ticket to Tarshish. It didn't start when the word of God came. It started in his heart. 
Disobedience is a heart issue. And Jonah doesn't want to go because he has a heart issue. He hates the Ninevites. He knows if he goes and preaches there, they will repent. He knows if they repent, God will hear them and forgive them and save them. And he doesn't want that to happen. How many times have you and I said no to God because we fear the outcome? Imagine if he went, by the way, how that would have played out for him among his fellow Israelites. They would have said, you, you going to help the enemy? They would have run him out of town. And maybe that was part of the deal with him. He wanted the medals of men instead of the honor of God. He was afraid. Jonah was motivated by fear, but God was motivated by grace amazing grace. Remember last week we said the main application is that God loves everybody. And, and what God gives is grace. Get, get this in your heart that, that grace means we get what we don't deserve. Grace means we don't get what we do deserve. And God's grace is wide open for every single one of us. But, but when they disobeyed against their own design and when they disobeyed against God's will, listen, he, he hurt others. We hurt others when we do that, not just ourselves. And sometimes it's the grace of God that lets us run. As a parent, you understand that. Sometimes it's the patience of God that allows us to run away. But it's the providence of God that sends the storm. And it's the kindness of God that sends the fish. Now, let, let, let's keep reading. I want you to see how this plays out in chapter 1. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe, just maybe, he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Remember, they're all praying. We talked about this last week. To their little G gods. And, and, and so they say, you better start praying, Jonah, to your God. And notice that the captain says, maybe, maybe, maybe he will spare us. Maybe. That's all the people in the world are looking for, by the way, is a maybe. And you and I who follow Jesus, we have the sure thing. We're not wondering maybe. We have the answer to maybe. Now look at verse 7. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? Do you see what's happening here? The questions are all about who Jonah is. And here's the application for you today. Hidden in who you are is your calling. Hidden in who you are is your calling. When we talked about Holy Week. Listen, if you're an extrovert, throw a party and invite people to church. If you're an introvert, go online and find people like you and invite them to church. Don't hand the card to somebody. Take a picture of it and text it to them because you're a scaredy cat. Listen, if you're, if you're a gearhead, start up a community group built around racing of one kind or another. You love cooking, start a group with foodies and make meals for people and take it to them and invite them. Do whatever God made you to do. The point is match up who you are with the plan of God for your life and then follow through in obedience. 
Amazing joy will happen in your life when you do that. And when we try to be something or someone that we are not, it's disobedience. It's disobedience. Look at verse 9. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea, circle this word, and, in your Bible, circle that word, and the land. The God who made the sea and the land. The God who made the land and the sea. Now think through that. That's what Jonah declared about his God, yet he got on a boat to try to run from God. The one who made the land and the sea. It's ridiculous. And the people on that boat, they either served the God of the land or the God of the sea, but not both. They didn't know the God who made both. They couldn't serve more than one at a time in their culture and the way that it all played out. And Jonah's saying, I serve the God who made both. Look at verse 10. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. You serve him? That God who made both the land and the sea? For he had already told them, right, that he was running away from the Lord. And they're like, what are you doing running away from that God? He's big. He's large and in charge. Are you crazy? Oh, why did you do it, Jonah? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Look, look at what he says in verse 12. Throw me into the sea. Every time I read that, I'm like, why is he such a freaking coward? Jump in the water yourself. <laughs> He's laying there with his hands like this. Two of you grab my hands. Two of you grab my feet. One, two. Right, just jump in. Obey God and, and calm again. I know, I know, I know. As sure as I'm standing here, I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get to the ship, get the ship to land. That's an incredible verse. Instead, he told them what to do. Instead, they tried to row even harder. In other words, they still tried in their own strength to, to save themselves. We all do it from time to time. We, we, we want to do all that we can in our flesh to save ourselves, but it's useless. But, but the same sea, look at what the scripture says. But the same, the stormy sea was too violent for them. And they couldn't make it. That's a theme verse for Jesus hates religion right there. The stormy sea, this life, the world you and I live in, it's too violent, and they could not. They could not make it. Look at verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. This is Yahweh, by the way. When it's all caps like that, it's Yahweh. It's the name of God. They cried out to the God, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. In other words, they recognized that Jonah's disobedience was causing them trouble. But when Jonah relented and obeyed, the whole thing turned around, right? And here's the next point that I want you to write down. The last point today is this. Obedience is priceless to you and others. Disobedience is costly to you and to others, but obedience is priceless to you and to others. And by the way, God blessed his obedience. He turned the tide of his troubles at the moment that he followed through. Watch, watch. Let's finish this chapter. Verse 15. The sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. I want you to star, underline, circle, highlight that next line. And the storm stopped at once. 
the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. God answered instant obedience with instant blessing. And what did the sailors do? They were awestruck. They praised God, which is exactly what Matthew 5 says will happen, right? People around you will see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. They they turned to the Lord. They offered sacrifices to the Lord. They offered up their lives to the Lord. They repented and made a vow to serve God. Look, when we embrace our calling through instant obedience, others will embrace their calling as well. And, And once you are truly convinced that Jesus really is better, you want to share it everyone you know, which is exactly what God tells Jonah to do. And and the reason God was calling Jonah, don't miss it, is because he cared about the Ninevites. Of all the doctrines in the Bible, grace may be the hardest. And it may be, probably is the most difficult Not to understand, but to accept. We understand it. We we, we know what the word means. Our problem is the application. Because when we try to apply it, grace, amazing grace, it forces us to face two truths that we don't like. It, it, It forces us to face the first truth that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Absolutely nothing. But it also forces us to face a second truth that is, if God doesn't save us, we will never be saved. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And if God doesn't save us, there's nothing we can do to be saved. We're going to dive in further. Chapter one is amazing, but it gets better as we go in chapters two, three, and four. Don't miss the next three weeks as we walk through this book. Would you bow your heads and pray with me today? Before I jump into the immediate application for those of you who know the Lord, could I say to those of you who don't, could today be the day of salvation for you? You're here today and you say, I I, I don't know that amazing grace. I, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't have a relationship with that Yahweh that Jonah is talking to and about. I I got good news for you today. You're you're one step from where you are to where he wants you to be in relationship with him. And so right where you're seated at all of our campuses, if if that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'll pray it one phrase at a time. And as I pray it, you just repeat it after me, but don't just repeat it, pray it and say it to God. I want you to do that out loud. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I would love to invite you to do that today. You're going to hear men and women praying all around you. Nobody will pray alone. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ right where you're seated or where you're watching online. Would you just pray and say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life. 
to be my Savior, my forgiver, my Lord. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin, and I trust you alone to save me. I receive you, Jesus. I receive your salvation. Thank you for saving me. Now, before I say amen, could I uh, help you make a practical application to your life? Those of you who already are believers, you can't and you won't tell people about Jesus. You can't and you won't be on God's path if there is a level of disobedience in your life. And the Lord's made you aware of it. The the whole point, if you were going to write one word over chapter 1 in your Bible, it would be this word, obedience. And the question I would love for you to pray about for a few seconds right now, I've thrown this question out here hundreds of times over the years, but, but it still cuts right to the heart of our everyday life with Christ. And here's the question. What's the last thing God told you to do? What's the last thing that God told me to do? And the follow-up question is, did I do it? You may be very aware of what that thing is because he's knocking on your door all the time. You may be completely unaware as to what that thing is. In fact, you may be unaware that the voice of the Holy Spirit has become silent. And if that's the case, would you ask him to take you back to that place? God, what's the last thing you told me to do that I, that I didn't do? And when he shows it to you, repent. Change your mind. I, I didn't say this in the first service, but I, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed right now with the voice of the Holy Spirit. Some of you who are spouses, what God is saying to you and the last thing he asked you to do is to forgive, is to forgive your spouse. In some ways, they've become your spouse. The very one you committed your life to has become your Nineveh. The one you're upset with, the one you are hurt by, the one that you are distant from, the the, the one you don't want to go to, the one that you don't want to be with, your your spouse. God forbid the one you've given your life to has become the one that you won't obey God for. I don't know who this is for today, but I'm telling you the Holy Spirit is speaking right now in this room. If you have married someone and God has told you to forgive them, you say, you don't know what they did, Alex. You don't know how they hurt me. doesn't matter. They hurt you. Okay, forgive them. Forgive them. It is not saying that it was okay. It is not saying that it was justified. It is not saying that that, that you weren't hurt or harmed. It is saying, I will obey my God and I will forgive you. You owe me nothing. I will embrace you. I will be your spouse. I will love you. I will forgive you. Listen to the word of God, church. What's the last thing that God told you to do? And did you do it?
And if not, commit right now to do it. You tell God, I will do that. I have zero interest in us playing church. The church is the bride. The church responds to the groom. And there is a love relationship. Would you listen to the voice of God and obey him? By the way, for those of us who who try to stay under the umbrella of of, of God through instant obedience, through through when God speaks, we we, we try to obey. If that's you, there are lots of you. There are some things, by the way, in Scripture that God has asked all of us to do. That we don't need the Holy Spirit to knock on the door and tell us to do. God's already told us through His Holy Spirit anointed word. And one of those things, by the way, there are many, but one of those things is sharing the gospel. Telling others about Jesus. Sharing our story. Sharing our testimony. Inviting people to come to know Jesus Christ. Do you remember what James said? James says it's a sin for you to know what to do and not do it. So there's sins of commission, but there's also sins of omission. Sins that we know, according to Scripture, we were commanded to do, but we're not doing. If that is the case, would you just commit, God, remind me of your commands. I'll obey you. Specifically on this one, I'll speak a word. I'll make a call. I'll send a text. I'll give a hug, a high five. I will embrace somebody. I will invest in somebody. I will invite somebody to come to know your son, Jesus Christ. On your way out, stop and grab some of those invest and invite cards and that, that aren't for you but are from you and use them. This season, this greatest season of the year to help people come to know Jesus is, is Easter season. It's Holy Week. God, grow your church. Grow us as your kids in our faith and our obedience and our commitment to you and our knowledge of who you are. Take us deeper, make us wider, make us stronger. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord for meeting us here uh, today?